Hello everyone, this is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week we talk about how to love ourselves, others in a higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, health, relationships, and spirituality. And we have a very special guest today. This is uh, Jesse Leon. Welcome, Jesse. Jesse is a graduate of UC Berkeley and Harvard. I think you also said you went to Princeton, is that correct? UPenn. UPenn. Uh, but started in community college. Yes, we're going to get to that. <laughs> and uh, he works as a social impact consultant to foundations and investors to address substance abuse, affordable housing, mental health, LGBTQ+, and economic educational empowerment. He has managed multi-million dollar grant-making portfolios, and you manage over $1 billion uh, of public sector investments. And also, you've done a lot of stuff with uh, real estate, over 5,000 units in developing. And you also have a remarkable life story, I Am Not Broken, which I happen to read, is very fascinating, and you take us from the horrors of sexual abuse, drug addiction, street violence, to the annals of success, happiness, hope, and redemption. So welcome, Jesse, to the show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. You have a tremendous story here. Now, it reminds me of a story where this little lion cub got lost from his mother, and a sheep found him, a sheep mother, that adopted the little lion, the lion cub. And he was very happy for a while, but then one day he heard a lion roar in the distance, and he recognized that. He also roared, and then he left the sheep and never came back. He recognized the, the roar within. So many people live what we call half-lives until they recognize another full life is waiting for them. Mm. And I know you have a story that can tell us a little bit about that. So tell us a little bit about what happened to you as a, as a young man. I was a little, loving, caring, nerdy kid. This is me. <laughs> oh, okay. With the glasses too, huh? This is me, the welfare glasses. Uh -huh. um, hair parted to the side with three flowers. Um, little studious, nerdy boy. And used to get picked on in the neighborhood for being the nerd. Because back then, being a... Chicano nerd was not trendy. It wasn't the cool thing to do in the barrio. So I used to get picked on and bullied all the time. But at 11 years old, I got sexually abused. And my perpetrator was drugging me. So at around two months into the sex abuse, he started to pimp me out in the sex trafficking industry of San Diego. And so I was sex trafficked for about three years until I was 14. And by the time I was 14, I was already an addict. And when the authorities got involved, my perpetrator disappeared. I turned to the commercial sexual exploitation industry of the streets of children and prostitution to support my drug habit till I was about 18. And that's when I ended up homeless, sleeping under a bush in a park, hopping in and out of random strangers' cars to get money to support my drug habit, and found recovery. I changed my life around. Uh, God found me, I allowed God in, and I allowed others to start loving me. And as soon as I started allowing others to love me, I learned how to love myself. And that led me on a journey of community college, a full ride to UC Berkeley, a full ride to Harvard, <laughs> now a successful published author of I'm Not Broken and No Estoy Roto en Español, and public speaker, executive coach, and consultant to high net worth families and foundations on issues of impact investment to help low-income communities of color. That's incredible. Uh, very inspiring. Thank you. And the other thing is, uh, you said interesting three things that I gathered from your book and also interviews. First of all, you say, I am not broken. Now, of course, you chose that title, and you could have said other things, I am strong or whatever it is, but you said I'm not broken. Tell us why you chose that title. 
So the original title of the book was going to be Nerd, Oh, my okay. nickname growing up. Uh-huh. And there was a big fight with the publisher because they felt that Nerd brings up an image of a white, techie nerd from Silicon Valley that has since found success through the tech industry. And so they said that nerd doesn't really bring up an image of a little brown boy. And I argued and we went back and forth. I said, we don't have any positive images of kids of color to be okay as being nerds. You have Urkel and you have Manny from Modern Family. We don't really have any Latino nerds. And in Encanto, the Disney cartoon, it was the first time that you actually had a main character that is of color wearing glasses. And so for me, I was pretty adamant that nerd was going to be the title of my book because I reclaimed the word to be never-ending resilience determination. Uh, but at the end of the day, they decided not to go with that. And I was, I was at an impasse and I felt really alone. I couldn't find a title. They wanted a title called The Smell of Eucalyptus. They wanted a title called Waves Crashing Against the Shores. And I felt sad and I looked in the mirror I called upon my higher power who I choose to call God for some guidance and I put my I started rubbing my heart in my chest and I said Jesse you got this man you're not broken you got this you're not broken mijo and I'm like oh damn there's a title so I decided to stick with I'm not broken uh-huh. and no estoy roto en español mm. and it's been uh, extremely effective to uh, <laughs> To have that title, it's worked out. Yes. So it's kind of like an epiphany, right? You're in the shower or something, or, you know, something comes to you uh, that's very natural and applies to you. And I think you're also saying that Latinos are smart is another theme that runs in your current understanding. But at the time, the word nerd, like you said, your brother made fun of you when he said it. But what do you say now? If someone calls you a nerd today, what's your feeling? Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm all about nerd power activate. Um, <laughs> I think you have the shirt that says and, nerd power, right? Totally, man, and channeling your inner nerd. We all yes. have inner yeah. nerds. And the one thing I share a lot about when I speak, especially with folks from the barrio that come from certain inner city urban culture that are trying to change their life around, that are trying to go to community college but don't feel smart enough, I say, no, we're smart people. Even with the stuff we have to do sometimes in the street to survive, we're smart people. We're resilient people. And just like you're putting on one hat to be successful in the current industry you may be in, in the streets, uh, you can switch your hat and learn how to do it in another setting and learn how to code switch. Um, How I speak English now is not how I spoke English 30 years ago. And I had to learn how to play the game, but I had to get in the game first. And so what I said, what I tell others is we're smart, we're resilient, we each have our own little nerd inside, and um, channel that power for good. That's great, Jesse. Now, you know, they've done studies on children who overcame great adversity, you know, like foster kids, drug-addicted parents, and they found that a third of those kids were resilient and overcame the odds. So this is a long-term study. And what they found is there are three factors that indicated if they could do that. One of them was they had a special talent or gift. Uh, They had some kind of personality that was pleasant. You know, they got along with people. Number three, they had a mentor. It could have been a grandma, maybe not even their parents, a coach. And I read through your book, you had seemed like quite a few different people that really made a difference. Starting with uh, some community uh, college counselors, 
uh, Narcotics Anonymous, um, I think it was a sponsor. Yeah. Uh, then you went to Berkeley, you met some very smart Latino students, right? And then finally, uh, Harvard. But you said at Harvard you were kind of shy, or you didn't feel you belonged? Uh, did, was something going on there about that? Mm -hmm. So yes, you're absolutely right. I've been blessed to have the most amazing people come into my life at the most unexpected moments. And sometimes I've had mentors that didn't come in the shapes or sizes or skin color that I, I thought. And um, I just had to be open to allow people to come into my life. And I call those moments, moments of magic. Um, but Harvard was difficult. It wasn't hard for me academically. It was hard socially. Uh, when you're at one of the, no one trained me and said, okay, you're gonna go to Harvard, and so you're gonna utilize these next two years of your life to network with some of the most high net worth families in the world, and this is gonna be your professional network of individuals who are gonna provide you career opportunities for the rest of your life. No one sat me down and said, you're going for school, but you're also going for the network. And so I had a really hard time socializing with people because I'm covered in tattoos. I felt less than, I didn't feel like I belonged because I didn't have a home in Martha's Vineyard. I had no idea who Martha was. I had no <laughs> idea why they were going to her vineyard. <laughs> they used to make fun of me and say, oh, it's Martha Stewart's vineyard and I believe them. So like when you're not raised in that type of setting, well, I not being raised in that type of setting started feeling really insecure. And so at that exact moment, there were a bunch of mid-career students, older students at Harvard that took me under their wing right. and taught me how to network and taught me how to suit up and show up in a different way to be able to be effective. It's pretty powerful. Now, I want to introduce a friend of mine, a mentee. This is Carlos Heredia. Hola, Carlos. Uh, who has been... Jesse's not small no more, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Coming from the streets, I guess, of Los Angeles, um, he has a very fascinating story. When I met him, he had just um, started Why to recover. Why do you keep getting farther away, man? He's looking good, right? No more out of the way? Yeah, exactly. So basically, he was um, almost killed in prison by his own gang. He was in a coma. Came out of it, started doing some work at the community and some public speaking. And uh, tell us a little about the Penn State story that you tell people. Excuse me? About the Penn State story? That, uh, oh, sure. Um, as Jesse just said, there's a lot of education, and education, and uh, not every education is found in the classroom. And with, um, let me see. Remember, the people look, uh, <laughs> so you look like you came from Penn State because you're a suit. Oh, yeah, yeah people <laughs> see me now, and it, it's beautiful because. I tell people surviving skills, professionalize, become great problem solving skills. And um, I see it, I was afraid of being found out. Um, what do you mean by found out? I don't want people to know that I was in foster homes, that I went to prison, but now I got a doctor and actually foster parents and part of the, the what I seen the enemy, the system, but actually saved my life when I think back on like, when they came in, to take me away from um, my my mom's home, mm -hmm. what um, she was on drugs, uh, unfortunately uh, prostituting. So they actually saved me, and also through my my journey, I realized because um, I was thinking, man, my mom couldn't give give up men for us and all that, but really was she was sacrificing her body for us to eat. It's now that I'm a grown up, 
I understand that it's not easy to raise five kids, single mom with with the wages that she was getting, hard worker, but not education-wise. And, and so what that I'm saying is, um, oh man, I had it. I had it great going on and living the lie, and when I come later to learn, it was called suicide living. I was um, respected, feared, but at the same time, I was hated. I was, um, uh, and why they're doing, why? So, people always see me, and I always always accept the challenge outside, but never the challenge inside, and the challenge inside is, is me, the little boy who's, who, who who's cries and wants to be felt like validated over something, and and what it was is um, I was on unboxing, so two guys went in there to, to hit me, I beat them up, then five come back, and then just too many, and um, so I remember I woke up on life support in a medically induced coma, couldn't walk or talk, I couldn't, my left hand had no strength, I couldn't control my drooling, I said, wow, this is where my victory has brought me to, and seeing my mother there, and, and my father there, who time has passed, um, my mom was able to see me now, uh, I seen her looking at me, I was like, man, how many people did I leave like this, their moms, their dads, and uh, I would have, I felt like, okay, so in that spectrum or cultural of what is true to that world, I was in the right, which was great, but what, I would have died in the right light? And right. so, now, now what I've learned is I had to, um, what, come out and tell my youth, I tell them how you beat a system that's set up for you to fail by becoming something. Mm -hmm. So, what I've learned, as I said, surviving skills are professionalized, become great problem solving skills, like a rose on top, but just like a rose, there's thorns that you gotta cut off and those are bad habits. Yes. And um, right. <laughs> I, I, I had to start learning to, uh, listening to other people, um, mm -hmm. Les Brown, positive motivation, mm -hmm. and, and not what, unfortunately the abnormal, and I tell people like, why should in our in our community you graduated high school that's the, we we celebrate that why not college okay and well, um, let me cut you off here because this is important you are now working i know and you went to some college but you never went to harvard oh no uh, jesse what can you advise him because i don't know if he believes he can do it I say just apply. <laughs> okay. I no, mean, no, I know. Or to I mean, it's something Harvard. In serio, like I started in community college, and I didn't think I was gonna go to undergrad. And you're if on, I did, you're, you're I was cosmetology, right? I did cosmetology yeah. for a year because yeah. I thought I was gonna have to drop out of school, right. and I was confused about my identity at the time. So I figured doing hair would allow me to be around beautiful women and get paid and. I was confused and I was a hot mess, but I stayed in school. And that's ah. the important part, is that I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. And I started getting involved in criminal justice policy and trying to help out other people of color to not fall prey to the prison industry and the prison industrial complex. Started organizing with Angela Davis, uh, Black Panther. Um, but I got a full ride to Berkeley and because other people motivated me to just right. apply. Right. And I didn't think I was going to get into Harvard. I, a friend of mine told me, just apply. Uh, you're, you're laughing, Carlos. What are you laughing? 
Right, because I can imagine I, it's um <laughs> a guy like him, you know, going to Harvard. Oh like no, there's a there, you know there's a dude that wrote Harvard Homeboy. Oh, okay. Another dude, uh, Ruben Navarrete, who wrote A Darker Shade of Crimson. Wow. Um, there's a few uh, folks that come from low-income Latino communities that do go to Harvard. I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> even at Berkeley, I mean, my whole crew right. were community college transfer students, and a lot of wow. us. You know, we're covered in tattoos, and we supported each other, and we helped each other try to learn this new game of academia, because we knew that we wanted a different life. And if not for us, for our families, mm -hmm. to get them mm -hmm. out of the poverty in which many of us are still trapped in. So Carlos, are you applying to Harvard next week? I'm not yet, but what I am hearing, <laughs> though, is there is a way out, and, yes. and whatever I want on my journey I can't go get it and uh, um, right. like I said we all got a sad story but bounce up we all got a powerful story man like, like it, like oh we're not broken we're not broken oh, <laughs> you like the phrase already huh? I, 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 I love it because as I was saying I don't want to be found out but that's exactly why social services has me there because they want to hear my opinion they want to right. and because I have that applied knowledge of where I come from yes. it, it's it's valuable so I have to stop seeing learn how to change the perspective of uh, my past as uh, pobrecito brokenness but as mm -hmm. treasures and wisdom that mm -hmm. I can use to bring to light and help others perfect now, the other thing, Jesse, I know that you identify as a Latino gay male, and uh, it's important to you, the LGBTQ kind of um, programs, but coming from your background, right, you were very seriously abused, sexually abused, trafficked, you became a male prostitute, and then you said you were confused, and you lived multiple lives. Right. Uh, now, what's your belief of this? Because gay men report up to three times more sexual abuse. Some people try to find a correlation between that and the abuse, or even a causation. Actually, it's seven point seven point six more times, more times sexual. So LGBT mm. youth who identify as two spirit LGBTQ plus right um, experience sexual violence mm. at seven point six more times than their cisgender heterosexual peers. Wow, it's powerful. Is that because they're more vulnerable because they're non-traditional in their personalities, or is it something else? What attracts this kind of abuse? I I, I I don't know how to answer it's, it's that very question. Confused. It's a you know, complicated study. What right? I do know is that the way that even in our youth that are incarcerated in the state of California, the latest number that I saw was that 26% of incarcerated LGBTQ plus two-spirit youth, 26% are in some kind of uh, sexual-related crime in terms hmm. of uh, survival sex, so selling themselves mm. to be able to survive out in the streets. Mm. So when you're when you're young, you're thrown out. You're you're forced to live on the streets by yourself. You can't find a job because you're trans or you don't fit within a nice pretty box that the dominant society wants you to fit into. You're forced to then go into other means to find methods of survival mm -hmm. and open yourself up to further predators, further violence, mm -hmm. and so it's just sad. Right. So when you were in the sex trade on your own, you were doing this for money, uh, but... Well, go ahead, sorry. Okay. Or was it something else? No, no, no. I mean, so I've had to learn how to change my own language. So 
I used to say I was a sex worker. But literally, when you're 14 to 18 years old, you're still a child. So no matter how independent I may want to view my mindset of being an entrepreneur and being a sex worker making my own money, the reality was is that I was a sexually exploited child in the commercial sex trade of children on the streets. When did you stop doing that? Was it at 18 or you went a, little, a couple more years ago? At 18, at 18, when I got clean and sober, um, mm-hmm. my life completely changed. Okay. You also mentioned in the book that in Spain, you actually came out as gay and you actually were free to experience that. As, right. As yourself. What was the difference in Spain? <laughs> Besides the paellas and all that. <laughs> the one thing that Spain provided was an opportunity to be away from family, to be away from my community, to not feel the pressures that I felt for so long Um, In my neighborhood, in my community, from my own family, my uncles, my dad, uh, the machismo that although it was a means of survival, at the same time it was, there's a toxic side of masculinity, especially in Latino culture. So I had to leave to another country where I had no familial, cultural, community ties to where I can just explore who I am. I'm in Spain walking around my first week with Dickies and my Kmart corduroy slippers and a Pedalton on with a goatee and a shaved head. And in Spain, you don't really fit in because there is no urban culture at that time. There was only one hip hop club a night. So I'm like, oh damn, like I really don't fit in here. (laughs) So when I met somebody and that person, you know, we connected and that person took me shopping and I started learning how to wear fitted pants and fitted shirts and different kinds of shoes. I felt awkward, but, you know, I fit right in with European culture at the time, and it helped me come out of the closet. You know what? Let me back up, because that's also another term about coming out of the closet or letting people in. I think a lot of people from communities of color, it's too dangerous to come out of the closet, and that weight, that white dominant culture of coming out of the closet, for a lot of us, it's letting people in. And me making the choice of who I allow into my space to really get to know me authentically, because oftentimes that also means I'm putting my life in your hands and trusting you, because it can still be dangerous for a lot of communities of color to come out of the closet. So you are, um, you're kind of reversing words. <laughs> I mean, in a positive way, right? So coming into the closet. Is, letting in, as opposed to coming out. So joining people join you in, in, your, in, your, um, in your life. Uh, the other thing, uh, Jesse, you talked about that you lo- actually like psychology a lot. And in college, you studied it. And you like to observe people, like the way gender and you know, space and things like that, you know, men and women, and also Latinos and others, you know, how they have different space oh, requirements. Safe space. Uh, but the other thing, interesting thing is that, yeah, you guys are laughing. You guys are getting along? Oh, he's I, cool. I, I, I told you, I brought him for you, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, he's a good guy. Uh, so basically, uh, you know the term catharsis? You may have studied uh, Freud, you know, where you let out your feelings. Yeah. So talking about trauma can be that way for some people where they cry and release it. But you say you like trauma-informed better because it's not just focused on the trauma. It's focused kind of an overall picture. Uh, do you think people should re- relive their trauma and talk about it in therapy or no? So trauma-informed care is done in a way that you're able to talk through your traumas and address core issues without having to relive them. Ah. And that's the key point there, is that too often, what is not available for low-income families, low-income individuals and communities of color, is having access to culturally competent therapists that practice cultural humility, 
are open to multilingual services and trauma-informed care because it's expensive, let alone other types of psychological modalities like EMDR, parts work, I IFS, internal family systems, brain spotting, all of those different modalities cost above $300 an hour and insurance doesn't cover it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have access to therapists to give you the type of mental health services that sometimes trauma and individuals that have experienced trauma require, where do you have to go? So no, I'm, I, I, I don't believe that um, individuals need to constantly relive their trauma. I get asked to speak publicly about mm -hmm. my story right. and when people see me cry on stage, when people see me get teared up, it's normally not because I'm reliving the trauma. I'm actually crying from a place of hope, mm. a place of love that I'm able to talk about it freely when for so long I wasn't able to. I was silenced. And I liked your words earlier about, you know, I didn't leave one form of bondage to go into another. Very nice. Very, very powerful. And uh, you have a very powerful platform, Jesse. You could help a lot of people, many different areas, you know, marginalized, Latino, LGBTQ+. Plus. Uh, also, just anyone, right? That doesn't believe in themselves, you know, because love, self-love is what we talk about here in Love University, loving yourself, others, and a higher nature. Self-transformation, you know, self-actualization. Mm -hmm. What would be some advice, and of course, Carlos is part of this too, that you can give to young men and women that are doubting themselves because there's something that we call mental capital that we have in our minds, but we don't use it. You know, like a businessman, if you had a lot of money, would you put it to use or would you just, you know, put it away? Likely you would put it uh, to use, right? So you can generate more of that. But people don't do the same for the mental capital. So how do we get the young folks to do the, use their mental capital in a good way? Starting with Carlos over here. Right, Carlos, are you ready to use your mental capital? Go for it. <laughs> just, just um, can I say, uh, would I ever have thought I would be here today and uh, so talking to Jesse and USC campus, pick up the phone call? But because I was training, I didn't. It wasn't gonna fall off, um, fall out of the sky by itself. So uh, it's um, go for it and don't stop before the miracles start to happen. Okay. Wise words. Wise right. words. Jesse, can you add on top of that? Ah, I mean, he hit it right <laughs> on the head. I mean, he he hit it. It's uh, go for it. Um, so I remember when I started writing my book. I didn't even start yet. I wanted to start and I didn't know where and I didn't know how and I would reach out to all these authors and do I write an outline first? Do I... I had post-its all over my wall in my apartment about I want to talk about this, I want to talk about this and I'm trying to figure out what chapters what's going to go in and I couldn't get started until finally one author said just go for it. Just start writing, damn it. And I did. Next thing you know, I had 700 single-spaced pages of blah. And she said, you'll know when you're done. And I did. And then I went back to cleaning up my story and I edited it. And then I went back to, like, you know, making it even stronger and finding an agent. Um, it's taking that initial first step. Go for it. You know, uh, a, a journey of a thousand miles, I don't know who said this, you know, starts with one first step. And... Um, and don't stop before the miracle happens because oftentimes mm. we want to give up. So what would I tell our youth? Believe in, believe in yourself. You are worthy. Um, you do matter. You do have a story to tell. 
Uh, you don't have to leave one life of bondage to another life of bondage. And also give yourself a break. Just give yourself a break. You know, it isn't a race. Appreciate the moment and a pre try to live a life of, I tell myself to try to live in the moment, in gratitude, and allow myself to be loved, which is oftentimes my hardest thing. I like that. And you being at Love University, you know. Of course, allow yourself to be loved, yeah. I think with two, you two guys, you just came up with a book title. I don't know who's gonna write it. Don't stop until the miracle happens. Okay, who, 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 you wanna write that, or do you wanna write it? I think that I think that's already been coined, so I don't know if we can are, use are it. Sure? But we have to check. We, we have to do our research. <laughs> do your Google search, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jesse, it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show today. A blessing. Uh, where can people hear more about your work? I know website or things that you're working on right now. So anyone can find me on jessieleonauthor.com. My Instagram is jesse underscore leon underscore author, and I respond to everyone and pretty much that hits me up and okay. my book is available um, at every independent bookstore support your local independent bookstores but also available on Amazon in both English and Spanish I'm not broken no estoy roto it's available on audible in also English and Spanish I read the book I narrated it myself mm. wow. and uh, I recommend that anyone that wants to read the book get the audiobook and listen to it while they're reading because right. it's a great way to really capture the essence of the story in both languages exactly and we'd love to see the sequel maybe something beyond that right with your current life that will be wonderful that uh, is the plan are you thinking about it huh? okay totally mucho gusto amigo gracias por tenerme aquí Alex this is Dr. Alex Avila mucho gusto tener esta sesión y Carlos también Carlos mucho gusto thank you no thank you until next time <laughs> <laughs> alright guys so that was a great interview live at the Los Angeles Book Festival at USC we had an amazing time and this is a great opportunity to interview these wonderful authors and people that have a message that's going to help others. So, love university students, if you want to be on the show in the future, or if you have a show idea, you want to comment on today's show, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. You can write to us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. You can visit us at loveuniversity.love. You can also download the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Love Letter U Podcast. And you can also go to our YouTube channel, Love University. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avila. It's time to put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. And class is now dismissed. Love yourself, others, and a higher nature. Until next time.